Um, <clears throat> so last week, we um, started to talk about Revelation, um, and I uh, explained that there are two different uh, forms of Revelation that uh, we generally recognize. Um, we see uh, general Revelation and special Revelation. Uh, can, anybody, can anyone remember uh, the three different uh, categories of general Revelation we discussed last week? Danielle? Nature? Nature, yes. Nature was one. Providence. Providence, yes. And what would the third one be? Conscience. Conscience, yes. So these things, um, <clears throat> God has given special revelation of himself through nature, providence, and conscience. Um, he provides us with the evidence of himself through these means, but he doesn't necessarily communicate salvation through these means. And so that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, we're, and we're, we're not exclusively going to be talking about salvation, although special revelation primarily focuses on salvation, but we're going to be talking about ways that God directly communicates as opposed to just providing us with the evidence of his existence through creation, uh, conscience, and uh, um, providence. So... Um, I have a couple of um, a couple of different methods um, we'll go through really quickly uh, as we move to uh, the primary uh, methods of special revelation that we have access to today, uh, just so that we can kind of establish that uh, God uh, is not limited uh, in how he communicates, and there is evidence throughout the Bible that he's communicated in many diverse ways, um, but they're all leading to a point, and then we'll, we'll get into the primary methods that he uses uh, currently. <clears throat> so, um, let's see. So let's start with um, let's actually go to Genesis three really quickly. Because before we actually get into any of the later um, methods of special revelation, I want to just establish that uh, there was a point in time that God very directly communicated with mankind um, without the use of intermediaries. So we see, let's go to Genesis 3, uh, verse 8. Uh, we see here that it says, And they, being Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, Adam, uh, this is uh, Adam speaking, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So here we see uh, very clearly, and we don't have to get into a debate whether this is supposed to be taken literally or figuratively in terms of God walking through the garden, um, because we're not theologians and uh, we don't have hours to waste on that subject. Um, but what we can uh, look at is the fact that God directly addressed Adam, uh, and Adam directly uh, responded back to God. So, um, clearly... At one point in time, God spoke directly to human beings. Now, I won't go through the specific scriptures, but we see throughout the next couple of chapters in Genesis, um, God directly communicates with Cain in the same fashion, um, and God directly communicates with uh, Noah in the same fashion. And then eventually in, in Genesis 6, <clears throat> um, we see in verse 3, And the Lord said... 
My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Now again, there are multiple different ways we can interpret that, but I think the one thing that we can kind of glean from that passage is that uh, we see that God's direct communication with man is slowly starting to shift as man has first fallen from the garden, and then as we've gotten to the point now, right before the flood, that man has become so wicked. Um, so, <clears throat> in uh, God's work to redeem mankind, his method of communicating now, uh, that redemptive process, is slowly changing. Um, that doesn't mean that God's uh, plan is changing, and it doesn't mean that his um, way of redemption is changing, but it, it means that he's using different methods of communicating, because man is, um, man's behavior is distancing him further and further. <clears throat> Alright, so we've established that uh, in the beginning, in the garden, God clearly communicated with Adam and Eve, even after the fall, he still clearly communicated with uh, Cain, communicated with Noah, eventually that started to uh, modify. Um, so then we see uh, post-flood, um, we start to see a number of different uh, methods of special revelation. And um, the first of which, um, we see God calling Abraham uh, out of his land. So we can see, let's see, after the genealogies in 10... Um, We'll go to uh, Genesis 11. <clears throat> Actually, Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. So, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. So we see that, Following the, uh, the flood, and then also following the Tower of Babel, we see generation upon generation eventually leading to Abraham. And now God is calling Abraham out for a specific purpose. So now we start to see some of these methods of special revelation being employed once again. And it's starting here with Abraham, but we're going to see it continue as God slowly uses not only Abraham, but then also the patriarchal line to eventually lead to the nation of Israel and so on and so forth. And this is being established for the purpose of communicating his redemptive plan. So we see this starting here. Um, I mean, technically we see it starting all the way back in Genesis 3, but we really see it start to take shape here uh, in Genesis 12. <clears throat> so let's talk a, a little bit about um, some of the early methods of uh, special revelation beyond just direct communication uh, with uh, individuals. Um, so we start to see the use of... Um, We start to see the use of theophanies. Um, uh, theophanies and appearances of the angel of the Lord. Um, technically, we can distinguish those as two different things. Uh, for our purposes this morning, we'll just kind of combine them together uh, because they both are essentially the Lord expressing himself through uh, some sort of um, uh, an incarnation. Um, so... Let's go to, we'll stay in Genesis and we'll turn to chapter 16. 
And in verse 7 we see the angel, angel of the Lord. Uh, so this is... Let's back up for context. So verse 6, But Abram said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. This is when um, uh, Abraham has taken uh, Hagar on as a concubine. She's had Ishmael. Um, Hagar is puffed up about this, and she's uh, not um, following instructions from Sarai. And so Sarai goes to Abram uh, complaining about that, and Abram tells her, she's your servant, do with her as you please. So she treats her harshly, and then in the next verse we see that the angel of the Lord found her, uh, Hagar, by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hands. Uh, and then we see the rest of the chapter, uh, the angel of the Lord is uh, giving a, a prophecy about uh, her son. So I, actually, this is, um, this is a prophecy about uh, what Ishmael uh, will eventually grow up to accomplish. So the angel of the Lord here is specifically um, appearing to communicate uh, on God's behalf, giving a future prophecy. <clears throat> we see, continuing on through uh, some other theophanies and appearances of the angel of the Lord, we have, we're not going to turn to all these uh, just for time's sake, but um, you see in Genesis 22, um, the chapter where um, Isaac is offered up as a sacrifice. Uh, we see the angel of the Lord appear in verse 11. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven uh, to Abraham and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the, the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. So here he's uh, stopping Abraham from offering the sacrifice after he showed his obedience uh, to God. Um, and... Um, we, we continue to see appearances in Genesis 31, uh, Exodus 3, uh, the burning bush that uh, speaks to Moses, uh, Numbers 22, uh, the story of Balaam uh, and his donkey, uh, and so on and so forth. So we see the uh, theophanies and, and angel of the Lord uh, usually appearing <clears throat> to interact with humans in some way to direct them to where God wants them to go or to give some sort of communication as to what God's will is uh, for them in their lives. <clears throat> we see, uh, following the use of theophanies, um, we also see the use of dreams and visions. Uh, God communicates uh, in dreams. We can go to, uh, while we're still in Genesis, let's turn to chapter 37. well-known passage in scripture. Uh, this is Joseph uh, being communicated to uh, through multiple dreams. Um, so let's see, we'll go to 37 uh, verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves 
stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf, and his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And then he goes on to communicate about a second dream that's similar to the first. Um, and of course, we know that this is uh, prophetic. This is uh, telling what's eventually going to happen to Joseph when he's sold into slavery in Egypt. Um, and eventually we know that the dream comes true, that his brothers and father do eventually bow down to him. Um, what's interesting about the use of dreams uh, is that uh, dreams throughout the biblical text, as opposed to a lot of other methods uh, that God uses, um, we actually see just as many non-believers uh, communi receive communication through dreams as we do believers. Um, now, this isn't to say necessarily that um, they're receiving those dreams from a, a source other than God, uh, nor is it to say that they're receiving the dreams because of any special thing that they do, uh, but rather just that uh, God can communicate through anybody using any methods uh, that he desires. And we actually see that even to today. Um, we uh, see many reported cases of um, people from other cultures, uh, for instance, Muslims, uh, report that they've uh, seen visions of Christ or, or had a dream of Christ, which eventually leads uh, to them converting to Christianity. Um, and oftentimes in the, the biblical narrative, throughout the scriptures, uh, we see God revealing himself through dreams to people uh, for uh, a purpose that usually leads them to either convert or at least accomplish some goal uh, to further uh, God's redemptive work. Uh, so, for instance, uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, is an example of that. Um, we see, um, actually going back to Genesis again, uh, Pharaoh uh, is uh, visited uh, by God in, in a dream, uh, which leads to Joseph interpreting that dream, and then actually that is what leads to Joseph uh, fulfilling his dream that God gave to him. Uh, so all of these things connect, and all of them propel God's purposes forward. Uh, nothing is ever accidental, and God uses it uh, in every instance, no matter who he's communicating to. <clears throat> Similar to dreams, we also have, <clears throat> we also have visions. Um, typically, whenever someone has a vision, uh, to differentiate it between uh, or from a dream, we usually see it identified as such. Um, a dream typically is something that people receive when they're asleep. A vision is usually something that uh, can be received either when sleeping or awake, but uh, typically more uh, when the individual is awake. And so... Um, just to name a few verses uh, that uh, clearly indicate that. I mean, you see this frequently throughout the prophets. You can see it in Isaiah 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, you can see it in Obadiah 1.1, 1, 1, Nahum 1.1. 1, 1. Um, 2 Samuel, actually, um, chapter 7. Um, we can turn there really quickly for an example. This is a vision of uh, Nathan. Um, go to verse 12, and 
This is uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all his vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. So Nathan is giving this prophecy from God to uh, David, establishing uh, this covenant between <clears throat> the two of them, and it was revealed to Nathan through a vision. Uh, Nathan was a uh, prophet uh, to King David. <clears throat> so we see um, Theophanies, an angel of the Lord. Uh, we see dreams and visions. Um, there are uh, certain scriptures that deal with um, dreams and visions concerning how uh, to discern them, uh, to make sure that we're not just uh, listening to anybody who has a dream or a vision. Uh, we can see this in both the Old and the New <clears throat> Testament. Uh, let's turn really quickly to Deuteronomy 13. <clears throat> this is a passage of scripture that uh, fortunately for many individuals in the church today is not practiced. Um, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign of or the wonder come to pass, whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you, <clears throat> excuse me, proveth you, to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he hath spoken to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage, to thrust thee out of the way which the Lord thy God commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. Now, in ancient Israel, if you were a false prophet, and if you were proclaiming that you had a dream or a vision from God, and you did not indeed have a vision or a dream from God, and especially if that vision or dream led to idolatry of some sort, it's very clear in Scripture that you were killed. Um, obviously, that's not a practice that we uh, still carry out today or endorse, but in the ancient world, in Israel, they took this very seriously, and they did not want people to claim that they had visions or dreams from the Lord because God wanted everyone to be following his commandments and his commandments only. And for a, a contemporary uh, practical application to that, I mean, obviously, we're, we're not instructed to go around killing people that are false prophets, but when we go to the New Testament, we do see how we are to treat them, and typically the scriptures tell us to mark them and avoid them. Uh, and uh, the scripture we'll be looking at in just a second uh, also uh, tells us how to discern uh, the, the spirit that's uh, being claimed. But uh, ultimately what we should be doing is we can take some practical application from this, not in the uh, stoning a person to death, but rather from verse 4, 
we can see it says that ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. So what is God ultimately concerned about? Us following his commandments, following his instructions, obeying his voice. It's all about what he's communicating to us, not about whatever somebody says that they have a dream or a vision. Um, so ultimately you have to ask yourself the question, is this dream or vision uh, directing me to follow God's word, or is it something that is specifically just directed to me that only profits me and has nothing to do with anything revealed to me in Scripture? Um, that's why we have a Bible. That's why we can always uh, use this as our foundation of truth and ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about this? So if somebody tells me that they had a dream or a vision that, you know, I'm supposed to play this certain lottery number and I'm going to win a billion dollars, what does that have to do with Scripture? Is that God's plan for my life, or is that just somebody claiming that they had a dream or a vision? Um, so if we go to 1 John, we'll actually see a New Testament um, Scripture concerning this. First John chapter 4, John writes in his letter, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come. And even now, already, is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So here John is telling us when we're discerning spirits, we want to make sure that uh, anyone who is uh, claiming to, to give us a spiritual message should be proclaiming Jesus Christ first and foremost, and it should be a gospel-centered message. Again, um, people who proclaim dreams and visions and prophecies that uh, are self-serving or would even contradict Scripture, it doesn't matter how good of a message it sounds like, and it doesn't matter who the source is, how trustworthy they may seem on the outward uh, appearance, if it's in contradiction to Scripture, or if it just simply is self-serving, we have standards to, to test it by. Um, we've been given a very clear instruction throughout the entirety of Scripture, how we are to live, and what our purpose in life is. And our purpose in life is simply to glorify God and to spread His message and to, to spread His love. Um, <clears throat> all right, so that covers dreams and visions. So we also have, uh, and I'm not going to go into any great amount of detail on these. Uh, if anyone has any questions about them, I have a whole list of scriptures that uh, you guys can come to me, and I'm happy to share them with you, but uh, for time's sake, um, I'll just simply mention that uh, a couple other methods that God used in the Old Testament, um, and actually this somewhat carried over into the New Testament on a few occasions, um, casting lots, and also the uh, Urim and the Thummim. Um, the Urim and the Thummim were used specifically by the priests. 
the first scene in Exodus chapter 28, verse 30, uh, there's no description whatsoever of them given. So we can either assume that they were something that the Israelites already uh, were aware of, or that God simply just doesn't want us or need us to know any details about them because they're no longer in use. Uh, casting lots, uh, there are a ton of instances throughout scriptures where we see the uh, use of uh, lots being used specifically by God's people. Um, just to name a few, Leviticus 16, 8 through 10, we see uh, the lots being used to, to choose the scapegoat. Uh, Numbers 26, 52 through 56, uh, this is for land allotments, uh, also in Joshua 7, 14, again, land allotments. Uh, we see them used in Judges 1, 1 through 3, uh, to choose who will uh, go and battle against uh, certain uh, tribes in uh, the Promised Land uh, to begin taking the land. Um, we actually do see lots used occasionally in the New Testament, um, Luke 1, 5 through 9, uh, we see that um, Zacharias mentions lots uh, being used uh, to determine the priestly duties. And uh, we actually even see them used in Acts chapter 1 to choose a, a replacement for Judas. Um, after Acts chapter 1, um, we don't see them used again. Uh, just like with the Urim and the Thummim, we actually don't see them used after Nehemiah. Um, so we're starting to see that some of these methods... They have their place, they have their purpose, uh, they're used for a, a period of time, and then they slowly start to, to fade away. Appearances of the angel of the Lord, we don't see any after the Old Testament. Um, some would argue that that's because the angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnate Christ. Others would just simply say that there's no need for an angel, whether he was a pre-incarnate Christ or just an angel, because we have Christ in the incarnation uh, in the New Testament. Either way, uh, we don't see the angel of the Lord uh, being used following uh, the Old Testament. We do see angels appear in the New Testament. Uh, specifically, we see Gabriel uh, appear to people by name um, throughout uh, the book of Luke. But uh, we don't see the angel of the Lord. <clears throat> so that brings us to, uh, that brings us to current um, forms of special revelation. Now, before I, I get into uh, the two that I'm going to cover uh, really quickly, are there any questions on any of the forms of special revelation we just discussed. If anybody wants advice on how to use the Urim and the Thummim, uh, I, I haven't used them myself, so I, I can't tell you. But <clears throat> All right, so um, the two methods of special revelation that we see still in place, um, they kind of go hand in hand together. We see the person of Jesus Christ in his incarnation. Obviously, he's not walking tangibly, physically in front of us right now and communicating with us like he did with the apostles, but he still has given us his revelation of who he is, what his purpose was, and the evidence of uh, that purpose being fulfilled. And that leads us then to the scriptures, which are what communicates the person of Jesus Christ, his work, how it's been fulfilled, uh, and... Uh, ultimately brings it back to God's purpose being achieved through him uh, for the purpose of re redemption. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> uh, really quickly, let's go to John chapter 1. <clears throat> so we see... Uh, a couple of different uh, 
couple of different things being accomplished uh, through the book of John um, that kind of give us some insight into what Jesus was um, trying to share with those who he interacted with and then to those who recorded the scriptures for us to be able to, to read. Um, John chapter 1, verse 18 uh, it reads, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom uh, of the Father, he hath declared him. So we see that Jesus is uh, coming to declare what the Father is like. Um, yes, we have the Old Testament scriptures, uh, so the people at that time had the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus is giving a definitive, uh, explicit uh, description of this is what the Father is like. He's telling us that he's seen the Father. He is the Son of the Father. He was with the Father. Now he's coming to tell us about the Father. Um, we see a couple of chapters later in John chapters, uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> we see Jesus uh, reveals to us the Father's compassion. John chapter 5, verse 36 but I have a greater witness than that of John, uh, speaking of John the Baptist, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me, and the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Uh, and then he goes on to, to say in verse 38, And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. Um, and then Jesus goes on to say, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. So, if the scriptures are testifying of Jesus, and Jesus is uh, trying to communicate what the, the Father's plan and his purpose uh, for us is, and he's saying that in the scriptures uh, there is eternal life. If we put the pieces together, we see that Jesus is trying to give mankind eternal life. He, he's there to communicate what, what is the Father's will. And the Father wants us to come back into communion with him, to uh, be redeemed of our sin, to have eternal life. And Jesus is there to communicate that to the people. And he's there to testify to the scriptures that speak of him. <clears throat> Finally, we see, um, we'll go one chapter over into John 6. Um, we see that uh, Jesus reveals that the Father gives life to those who believe in the Son. <clears throat> John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. We see this again communicated in John chapter 14. Uh, John chapter 14, uh, verse 6 and 7, Jesus uh, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? He's asking a question. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, 
he doeth the works. So again, we see Jesus continuing to proclaim uh, that the Father is the one deserving all glory. He's there to accomplish the Father's work. He's there to give life, uh, and he's pointing back to uh, the scriptures to uh, testify to that. Which then ultimately leads us to the scriptures themselves. So Jesus, uh, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus pointing to two things. We see him pointing to God. We see him pointing to the scriptures. We see him pointing to the scriptures to testify that he is who he says he is, and then that is ultimately supposed to point to God. Um, and, of course, um, I mean, I don't know that we'll get through a single lesson in Bibliology without constantly referring back to this passage, but again, we can go to 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17, um, <clears throat> to bring it back around to the scriptures, and we see that, um, once again... Paul communicates to us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, through, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So Jesus first pointed to the scriptures to prove that he said, or he is who he said he is. Then once he uh, did his finished work, we see that Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is still pointing to the scriptures now. Because Jesus has finished his work, but we're still living our lives. We're still here. So we now want to make sure that now that Jesus has actually given us redemption, we want to do what is pleasing to the Father, just like Jesus did. And we now have the scriptures to not only testify to Jesus' authority and uh, his sacrifice uh, being efficacious for us, but then we also have the scriptures to assist us in our own lives as we continue through this life, eventually uh, you know, being reunited with the Father. <clears throat> Finally, we can, uh, we can go to 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. And in verse 21, we see Peter uh, communicate that, uh, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So again, we see that the scriptures are written by the influence of God himself, not by the, the prophecy of man. And this, actually, we can refer all the way back to Deuteronomy, um, what we covered earlier, uh, where we're given... Uh, instructions on how to discern uh, people proclaiming dreams and visions. Because, again, if they're proclaiming dreams and visions that are only serving the purpose of man, but not proclaiming God and glory to God, or in the New Testament, as we see it more uh, fleshed out, the um, redemptive work of God through his Son, then we can question that, uh, as opposed to what Peter is writing here, where he's saying that uh, the prophecy that came in old time was uh, by the will of man, or um, was not by the will of man, but rather holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So that is, a, that is a crash course in special revelation. Um, I 
would like to go into much more detail, but I'm trying to keep these as concise as possible. So, um, again, anybody who has any questions on this, I'm more than happy to have a discussion for as many hours as it takes uh, to anybody who's willing and able. Um, but um, my main point uh, today was just uh, to ultimately provide you guys with a little sample of the fact that from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis 3, we see evidence that God... Uh, has always desired communication with man, whether it be directly in the Garden of Eden, whether it be with man after the fall, uh, still directly through Cain, Noah, through Theophanies, angel of the Lord appearances, uh, angels themselves, um, uh, through uh, you know the casting of lots, the use of the Urim and the Thummim uh, in the priestly duties. He's always wanted to communicate with people to make sure that they are doing what he wants them to do. He doesn't want us in the dark. He always provides us with uh, methods of communication. And ultimately what it's all uh, culminated in is the scriptures which we hold uh, right now. Um, all of these things are communicated in the scripture. All of these things can be proven through the scripture. And once we understand that, we can go to the scripture definitively and use this as our foundation of truth to base every decision in our life off of. We don't need to worry about casting lots or some appearance of an angel. We have everything right here. Any questions or comments? I know that was a very, very fast lesson, so I don't want to neglect uh, to ask if anybody. Okay. Well, I'm glad everybody understood that perfectly. So with that, um, I guess I'll close us in prayer.